0: Straight out of Finland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Helsinki. Today I am joined by Dr. Kimberly Kroll. We are talking about the Christian doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Christian theology claims that the Holy Spirit indwells believers, but the history of Christian thought has not made it clear what that actually means. Kim recently finished her PhD dissertation at the University of St. Andrews on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In today's episode, we'll discuss some of the key claims of the Doctrine and explore some of the different models of indwelling that have been developed by William Alston. In the next episode, Kim and I will chat about the work of Eleanor Stump, as well as Kim's own model of indwelling. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullens.com. Ready or not, here's Kim and I being moved by the Spirit. Enjoy. So Christians often talk about the Holy Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. Some believers talk about feeling the Holy Spirit move in their lives. Christians have this claim that the Holy Spirit somehow dwells in them. Now, Kim, you've been working on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and I'm hoping that you can enlighten us today on some of these different issues. So let me just start with asking, what is the Holy Spirit?
1: Well, I find that to be uh, an interesting question, or maybe even the wrong question, in the sense that Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is God. So whatever God is, that's what the Holy Spirit is. And obviously asking what God is, is a very difficult question that I'm not willing to tackle at this point. Sure. So maybe the the better question for our conversation is who is the Holy Spirit? So like I said, uh, Spirit is God and Christians believe in a Trinitarian God. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, like God. Spirit has always existed always been active in history. Yeah, so anything that is not created, Spirit was before that as non-created. Yeah, and I mean, one could argue that for Christians, Trinitarian theology is of utmost importance, and it it, it isn't even possible um, until the Holy Spirit acts in particular ways after the ascension of Christ. Some could even argue that there's not even a Binitarian theology prior to the coming of the spirit because it is the spirit that illumines who Christ is as God and not just Messiah.
0: So the idea being here, like I wouldn't even be able to really know unless I'd already been illuminated or at least somebody else had and they could reveal it. Exactly. So, okay. So the next question I have for you is Is this. Is so like, what role is the Holy Spirit supposed to play in our lives as believers?
1: Yeah. So um, all this data, right, is just going to come straight from the scriptures. So I'm not necessarily uh, trying to interpret what, what it means at this point. Um, but the scriptures say the spirit teaches people the things of God, the spirit convicts human beings of sin, the spirit guides human persons in truth, The spirit reveals all that belongs to Jesus, even things that are unbearable while Jesus is still incarnate on earth to the people of God. So he witnesses to Christ. He comforts believers. He advocates for believers. uh, He helps in all things. He adopts believers into the family of God. He aids believers in remembering. He provides words to speak. He leads. um, So basically, he provides and acts In ways that lead people, lead the people of God in knowing God and also in becoming bearers of the image of God. And this sort of hints at a bit of what's going on in my project, because I would say all of these things first require that a a certain sort of relation instantiate between God and the human person.
0: Okay. Yeah. so we're going to get into that in a little bit here. So, but you're saying though, in order for the Holy Spirit to play all these different roles, there already has to be something like called indwelling. And and like I said, we'll get into that in a bit, right? Okay. So, so one of the common like Christian claims is that the Holy Spirit somehow indwells believers. And it's like I said, we're going to get into this. And I, the reason I wanted you on the show is because I don't understand what that means. I don't really understand what indwelling is. And and so in a bit, like I said, we'll go through some different models of indwelling. But before that, I guess I'm kind of curious, like why we should think that God would indwell human creatures? Like what reasons would God have for indwelling humans?
1: So I think this is a good question because the main thing is that God doesn't need to indwell creatures. So God needs nothing, um, and it's God's free discretion to do what he would like with anything that he's created. So at this point, I think we could avoid talk of perfect being or perfect making properties, but I might be considered something of a nominalist, at least in the way in which this work is coming out, um, because I really only want to commit to the fact that God is free and that God is Mm -hmm. other or holy.
0: So hang on, so i want to make sure I'm getting this. So you want to say because God's free, uh, and the indwelling of the Holy spirit, something that God does not have to do. that wouldn't really tell me anything about God's like essential properties. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So yeah. So perfect being theology that only tells me about God's essential properties, if it tells me anything at all about Mm -hmm. God. So they wouldn't tell me anything here. So we'd have to look elsewhere to try to figure out this is a contingent relationship, Mm -hmm. this indwelling thing. So what are his reasons Mm -hmm. for doing that for a free being to do that?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So yeah. So so I do
1: think it reveals something about the heart of God, right? Um, but how we're gonna Mm -hmm. connect these things, I don't I don't know. And I don't wanna make claims about Mm -hmm.
0: that. Sure. It's fine. But
1: I mean things I can know about God's like as revealed, even though I only want to commit myself to something like freedom and and holiness or otherness. I know that God is loving just kind because these are things that are revealed in the scriptures. But I don't necessarily know Mm -hmm. what those things mean or how they all connect to each other. Sure. But the one thing I can say is that God is creator and God created that which is not God. And that's kind of where I stand on uh, things I want to commit myself to. Mm -hmm. So the point of all that, right, is that God is free. So, the data or evidence we have given scriptures, given tradition, even given personal experience, especially with the sort of topic I'm working with, is that God does indwell human creatures. Scriptures say that tradition says that we Mm. experience that in some way, at least we're supposed to as Christians. So, why would God freely choose to do this? Um, and it's complicated and it is nested in your understanding of God. And that's why I have a minimalistic understanding, but simply put, He is uncreated and creatures obviously are created. God is holy. The creation is not holy. So even though the creation is pronounced good upon creation, it's not pronounced holy. So there's something something there. Mm. That which is creaturely and and at least essentially unholy is unfit to be in the presence of God even prior to sin. And when I say that, obviously God is present, like he's omnipresent. So he's present in some way, but there's particular relations that just seem unfitting between that which is created and holy and that which is I mean uncreated and holy in that which is created and not holy. Right. So all of scripture, I think it, one could argue, is a story uh, about how it is that God might relate and be present to creation in particular sorts of ways. And this is actually what we see going on with like the tabernacle and what appear to be degrees of holiness attributed to the priests. Mm. All of this, the priests, right? the appointment of the priests, the holiness, the tabernacle, all of that depend on God's free discretion at appointing priests and giving them access into this presence in particular ways.
0: So, okay, that makes sense to me so again i want to make sure i'm following here so so you're saying like right like i want to make minimal claims about god i don't want to build too much in uh, but i've got some biblical claims that i can work from and then also just the claim that god's like omnipresent well that doesn't really say much and so when i look at the biblical data like the tabernacle or the temple it seems like god's present there in a special way that he's not normally and it does seem like it's kind of connected to holiness in Mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways especially Mm -hmm. the temple because it's a lot of biblical data on that. So that's one of the things you're trying to tease out here and say, like, I've got to look at this. Exactly. Issue. And
1: I mean, I think this is a big issue, because in general, people tend to a lot of people tend to flatten out presence in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to be careful about that. Because what we actually see in the biblical text is that there's a whole slew of ways in which God is present in unique, special ways to human persons. And I don't think we should just collapse those into omnipresence. I think that we should actually tease out what's going on there.
0: Okay. So, so you want to put this big emphasis on God's freedom, and that kind of makes it difficult for us to figure out what the reasons might be for Forgot to want to dwell us, but do you think something about indwelling would tell us about the character of God in some sort of way?
1: Yeah, I do, and I I don't think it's actually just the indwelling. I think that this can be connected to the incarnation as well, mm-hmm. and it's something that people talk about sometimes, but we don't actually I think uh, meditate on it or really sort of contemplate what it means given who or what God is. So I think that God's relation to creation, which is made manifest in more and more intimate ways over the historical story Mm -hmm. is something that we need to pay attention to so we see it in the incarnation first because christ enters creation right he takes on his own concrete particular human body but he still enters the creation in a particular way and then we have the holy spirit coming to enter in some capacity uh individual or particular human creatures who are actually even fallen so i mean really my understanding of God's freedom and then trying to deal with an intimate topic of indwelling sort of makes the problem a bigger problem than it might be for other mm. people. Because if God is free, if creatures are unfit to be present in the holy, it's sort of like, why would God become more in, more intimate with a creation that has, has fallen into sin or become broken in some sort of way? So uh, this is why I think uh, Mark Murphy, who's uh, working on sort of framing God's action and holiness is right when he says that we should be utterly astounded by the fact that God acts in these ways. So my conclusion ultimately is that there's something special revealed about God through his revelation of himself in these increasingly condescending ways. So God comes to us, but it's not about the creature per se, which is what a lot of people focus on. Um, whatever effect God's condescension has on the creature is just that it's an effect of the revelation of God as a condescending God um, and the power of a God who reveals himself in that way. So primarily, I want to say God is a God of consistent condescension. And this, I mean, this goes even in the act of creation, right? So this could get pushed back in even in God acting to create something that is not God, God is condescending in some sense from who he is because he is perfect and infinite and all of those things. And anything other than that is not him. And for him to be able to relate to in any way is going to be an act of condescension of some sort. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have him change on this account or become less or anything like that. It's just that he's manifesting that, that which is infinite in a finite mode within that which is created. So human persons to whom this God reveals himself actually can become holy um, or are are gifted with sort of this particular divine quality of holy. And this happens not just with people, but we see God saying that certain things are holy. And I want to talk about how that relation, God making things holy, reveals his character.
0: Right. So, okay. So, on your account, though, you don't want it to be the case that God like self limits in no. any sort of way. You don't want it, to, and, you, and you still want to say like he's fully infinite, whatever that means. I've never oh, been no, able to get clear no. on that. Uh, actually, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in the tradition who just say God's not mm-hmm. infinite at all. A lot of big big names, but that's a different issue. Uh, so you want to say though, like, but so, there's some sort of condescension though going on because God's really saying like I want to reveal myself to these creatures that I'm making, uh, and He has to reveal Himself in a way that mm-hmm. we can actually understand. So that's the level of condescension. So it's not a self limitation, exactly. Condescension. Okay. So like I mentioned before, I find this doctrine of indwelling like really confusing. Like I do not know what most people are saying. So I was kind of hoping we could get into this a bit here so there's some different like models of indwelling. And, and so when we, before we get into that, why don't we start with like, just what are some of the desiderata that you want from a model of indwelling? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I picked, I picked six desiderata that I think are necessary, necessary for an account of indwelling to actually be able to sort of give us what we think the biblical text is telling us. Right. Mm -hmm. I would probably say that this, I I know for a fact that my six desiderata would not, be accepted by all people. So I'm actually making my account more difficult because I'm adding something else that I want it to satisfy.
0: And and you and you think that oh, the six the six you're about to give us, you think these are all grounded in scripture? Yeah. So even if somebody else doesn't want it, you're still like, well, the Bible. Kind exactly. Of
1: and it. I'm. I mean, the thing is, is these things could be defined uh, defined in a whole bunch of ways as well. So, sure. um, I think I think the five I'm gonna, the first five I'm going to give. Everyone wants those. I haven't seen anybody making an account who doesn't want those or who doesn't think that the biblical text calls for them. Um, but what happens is there's a people um, prioritize in different ways. And depending on how they prioritize, that tends to affect their account. I mean, it even happens with me. I know which yeah. ones I'm more concerned with than others. <laughs> sure, But uh, I think that the first five, I don't think anybody would disagree with them. They might disagree with how I sort of think they need to be uh, worked out or defined. But yeah.
0: Okay. So the first five, Desderada, they should be uncontroversial The last one you want to give us. Some people might exactly, and these I
1: don't. I don't want to take these as philosophical claims, or even per se what I would say are are uh, theological claims. I think this is just coming from what the Mm. biblical data says because. Some other accounts, people right. will say these are accounts that you know these are desiderata that everyone will take theologically, and I'm like, mm, I don't think I accept that. So um, I just want to make <laughs> that clear. So if people actually okay. are, if people yeah. do have problems with them, I'd like to know that because I'd, I'd want to know why. But okay, yeah. So the first one, D1, is just simply mm-hmm. it's a unique relation. <laughs> so this goes into okay. the it's not omnipresence and it's not all the other presences. It's indwelling presence. So it's some something unique going right. on. Um, So you need to be able. It needs to be unique in some sort. Of way. Okay. D two is that it's unitive in some sort of way, and this this is one that sort of ends up, even though people don't focus on it, it becomes a major issue. And basically, mm-hmm. obviously, if God is coming to indwell us, he's this is the weird stuff, right? He's inside of us in some sort of way, or even if he's not inside of us in some no- sort of way, there's a way in which the relation is unitive between God and human creatures. The third one is that it's personal. And this is one I think you see interpreted differently. I mean, for me, I'm good with just saying it's personal because it involves one relata that's a person at least, which is a human person. Right. A lot of, I mean, we call God a person too, um, but how we understand that is its own thing. Yeah. But I think that a lot of people, when they hear the term personal, they think of human relations. Ah, uh, right. So that's what becomes a focus where for me, I'm like, well, it involves a person, so it's personal. So I can get that dorado mm. without even having to deal with that sort of. Aspect of it
0: that makes sense to me. Yeah,
1: people won't necessarily be satisfied with it, but but I can, <laughs> sure. and you can see that that's not actually one I'm <laughs> primarily concerned with. Um, where other people, I think, are very concerned with that one. The fourth zarada is that it's transformative for the non divine relata. So right, progressive sanctification through your relationship through the spirit, you are becoming more and more like Christ,
0: and and God's not becoming more, yeah, and more like exactly.
1: Me. So it's only right. transformative okay. for one for one uh, relata. The fifth one is that it's internal to the human person in some sort of way. So this is the one that even people who don't want to say like the spirit of God like comes to be inside my body, there is a sense in which it's it's doing something different than all of the other relations, right? There's a sense in which God is transforming us from the inside out. So that's where you have like changes in thinking and um, changes in the way in which you even Maybe phenomenologically experience certain things, but they're not. God is no longer just working outside of you. God is somehow working inside of you in a new way.
0: And it feels like it's kind of in the name yeah, in exactly. dwelling. Right? Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. So now the sixth one, though. So this is the one you said some people yeah, will. Yeah. And
1: like. this one, I, so this is my final, my final chapter that I'm still writing. So I actually have not picked a term that I think can get at what I'm trying to get at. What I have right now is that it's unconditional or covenantal. I don't really like the unconditional because at first I said immutable. I don't know what happens in the eschaton. So I don't know if we continue to be indwelt or we don't. I have no reason to think we do. But because of Mm -hmm. that, I get nervous of saying anything about that would make people think that the relation maybe is an eternal relation. Oh, okay. But what I want to say is that once that indwelling relation instantiates with someone on earth until at least the point that you die... That relation cannot uh, be eliminated. So, so in a sense, once that relation is instantiated with God, God maintains that relation. So I mm. can't, as a human person, actually do anything to sort of break that relation. And obviously, Catholics and stuff who, who believe, I don't know how they work through this, and I don't. I am not like a Catholic theologian, so I don't want to mess this up, Sure, but sort of, you know, there's the belief that if you're committing um, certain types of sin, that you break your relationship with God, you have to go through penance what, and these steps, and then that relation is is restored, and I don't, I don't know how to address that um, when I think particularly in relation to, well, you're given the Spirit of God, so does the Spirit of God just leave and then come back? I don't know, and then that seems to mean you have control over the Spirit of God in some sort of way, so...
0: Oh, right. And you don't want us to have that kind of control over God. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so whatever this, so this final condition is just whatever the indwelling is, it's permanent till exactly. at least death. After that, maybe God's like, you don't need it anymore. Uh, you're, you're, But at least yeah. for the rest of my life, and there's nothing I can do from this point on. That will exactly. break that, where they make the Holy Spirit go. Screw exactly, you, because God.
1: the thing is, is in the time, I'm going to see Jesus face to face, right? So I think, I think there's mm-hmm. going to be a different sort of presence going on there,
0: right? Okay.
1: So yeah, so those, those are them. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to say, I think, I think that the major with indwelling accounts, because there are people, right, that are starting to. This is starting to be a, a topic of interest because I think, yeah, specifically people more on the analytic side or philosophers of religion are seeing, oh my gosh, there's all these metaphysical complexities in this relation that are similar to incarnation but different. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's puzzles everywhere. So people are like, ooh, puzzles, you know? Yeah. But I actually, because mine is theologically framed in the way that it is, I don't want the motivation, I don't think the motivation, at least from a theological perspective, is ultimately these metaphysical questions of how does this all work out? And the reason for that is because- Mm -hmm. God is God and it does work out. So, I mean, I know that it happens right. <laughs> okay. and I'm more, I'm more interested in like, why would this happen versus let's figure out the intricacies. That doesn't mean I don't have to deal with it, Yeah. but I think that there's a lot more going on theologically where I can't just look at the problem of how does it, how does divine person indwell human person? I need to have a theological frame for all of that.
0: Right. And so these dif- different Deserata you've given, like that's part of the theological framework for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I okay. mean, it's
1: part of the theology. I mean, they, they are they're, they, they stem out of things that I think need to be in it, given the biblical witness, but things that are going to be mm-hmm. difficult for us to figure out as to how are they possible. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to analyze or look at another account, these are the things I'm looking for. Um, and even if you can do some theological, I mean, some philosophical sort of work there um, if you're if you're not dealing with some of the more difficult desjerada it becomes unhelpful and it just sort of floats mm-hmm. up there and i don't think any theologians are going to say yeah this helps us to understand what's going on or any biblical scholars are going to say yeah this accounts for the biblical witness i think i think it needs to be more robust than just a you know like a simple p1 p d1 d2 d3 and here's you know ways we can figure out the puzzle yeah. so that we could see, see it works like obviously it works because it happens
0: that okay this makes sense to me especially the the claim that it needs to be more robust because when I think about the one paper that I have on indwelling I was like well here's the incarnation and it can't be that it's got to be something else Uh, so it's like so it's got to have that unique relationship that first Desdorada you talked about but I don't have anything that really is any interesting kind of unitive relation uh, like the second Desdorada, and I don't have anything that looks like uh, the fourth or the fifth deserata you mentioned which is like there's something internal and so I'm just like I didn't have any of those Uh, and of course I knew it when I, when I had it published, that I was like, I didn't actually give you an indwelling, but I said I did, and that's what the publishers wanted. Yeah. But anyway, so let's <laughs> ignore that. Let's get on to the next question. So we've got these desiderata you've given us. You've got these six different desiderata, and I want to now look at some different models of the indwelling, but not mine because, like, I just admitted it wasn't really a model. So in some of your work, you've talked about like there's these things called like merger and non-merger mm-hmm. models. And so I want to start with these non-merger models. So the first one, it's called a, a fiat model. So what? Just what are some of the unique claims of the fiat model? Yeah.
1: So it's worth saying that the first paper that sort of came out doing this was was Bill Alston in the late eighties mm-hmm. and. Honestly, it was a short paper, but I think he did some of the best work on it in sort of uh, teasing some things out that needed to be addressed with. He was primarily concerned with the internality of it, but also uh, how people are transformed. So, I mean, he's very upfront at the beginning as to what he's concerned about. And he kind of gives multiple models. He actually ends up with what I would consider as a sort of merger account. So I don't even know how to think of sort of maybe the fiat model it could be a merger account as well so it depends on how you how you work mm, okay. it out but i mean it's kind of it's kind of quite simple it was his idea was just that god acts by divine fiat and he basically instills a new disposition he creates a new disposition in the person just as if it was out of nothing so ex nihilo so that's mm. it that's the fiat model god just boom does it you have a brand new disposition out of nothing and that's it and that's how transformation occurs and that's what the internality is, this new disposition.
0: Right. So I've got lots of different dispositions. Some of these are emotional dispositions. Some of them are intellectual. Some of them are like powers that I have. But the Holy Spirit on this fiat model is just, here's a new disposition in you, Ryan. Didn't have it before. Exactly. Now you got it. Aha. So I'm involved yep, in you. Exactly. Okay. Now, from what I remember, you're, like, you're not really a fan of this fiat model. So like, what do you think is like a major problem with the fiat model?
1: Yeah. So I think that... I think that nobody is really a fan of just sort of a bare fiat model. But I also think that in all the models, there is some sort of sense of something fiat going on just because um, you're dealing with God. If God acts and so desires for that action to have an effect, it's going to happen, right? And with conversion, you're something. something's happening there. Sure. But Obviously, Alston presents a very bare model just to sort of get this major problem out there that we have. But the main issue with this model is that it overrides the will of the creature. So obviously, if God is just acting and and, and creating a change in the human person, and that has to happen without the human person sort of responding or doing anything, that that's a problem because God created creatures with a will, and thus you would think he would respect the will in that sort of way. But the other thing that Alston himself brings up is that it, it doesn't deal with persons as persons. Mm. So same sort of thing. God created persons. Uh, we interact in a particular way. And you would think that, again, God would be respectful of that personhood and and would engage that personhood because he created us in that way. So that's sort of the the main thing. And what's interesting there is that, like I said, ultimately Alston's concerned about internality and transformation. But you see that other desiderata coming in, which is the desiderata dealing with the fact that you have persons involved. Um, so you can see how these things start to intertwine. But yeah, that's I mean that's the major the major issues with the fiat
0: model. Okay, so then let's look at another model here. So another model is called the interpersonal model. What are some of the unique claims of the interpersonal model?
1: You can tell by the name of it that interpersonal models seem to be primarily concerned with uh, how persons engage with one another. So simply put, and this is definitely minimizing right models that people create, but ultimately, it's that it's something like the way persons relate. So God sort of you know, communicate some stuff or put some stuff out there. And then human persons would respond to that stuff or that communication the way they would any other human communication. So the understanding is that the, the similarity in the interpersonal between God and the human person would function analogous to how human persons interact you know, the more you talk to someone, the more you're around someone, the more you get to know that person, and the more that person is able to have an effect and create transformation on you transformation of some sort, sorry. So basically, in this model, you're getting the fact that it's personal, you're getting the fact that it's transformative, maybe you could make this a unique relation. I don't I don't know how it's unique. Um, That Mm. hasn't really been worked out. You also get the unitive factor in this. So you can say people are becoming uh, more unitive with one another. But And uh, the major lack is it's not internal enough. So Mm. Alston brings this up. It's not dealing with unique presence of God. And it's not dealing with the internality of God. So these seem to be... The main things that Alston brings up. One of the things I'm particularly concerned about with interpersonal models is I actually think that transformation, so this is, you know, D4, so the effects. Of indwelling relation are just that, that they're effects, Hmm. and they have nothing per se to do with the relation simpliciter. So they kind of jump over what I would say is the major sort of concern with this complex relation, which is how is God even in some sort of intimate relation like this? So I think with Alston's fiat model, even, I mean, he could have a fiat model and then he could still have an interpersonal model as well. You could just tag it on at the end. But for me, that's the major issue is that I think that the internality of the relationship, the unique presence of the relationship, those are actually the metaphysical complexities that need to be addressed to talk about what is indwelling relation and not just how does indwelling relation affect a human person or even how does the human person phenomenologically experience indwelling relation, because I might experience it in the sense that maybe there's something interpersonal going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the relation itself is.
0: Right. So in your mind, then it's got all these holes. It's not really satisfying all the desiderata. So it's just, well, I guess like kind of like the fiat model again, it's it's missing all these different desiderata. So it's like, this isn't going to be a a robust enough model. So it, it can't get the job done.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I think there is an interpersonal sort of thing going on, right? Once you start to know God, it seems like we do experience God communicating in these sorts of ways and we relate to God in those sorts of ways. But yeah, it doesn't actually get into what I think are the problems with indwelling, which is wait, how is God internal and mm-hmm what is this unique presence? Yeah,
0: right. Because I mean, there's lots of different people that I have interpersonal relationships with, but there's no sense in which they are like, internal to me. So like, that still seems a mystery to me. And so I've lost whatever indwelling is supposed to be.
1: Exactly, exactly. And yeah, and I mean, this, this is where the distinction between the merger and non merger accounts come in, Mm-hmm. So uh, a merger account is where you're trying to really say like, yeah, God is somehow inside. Um, so Alston, he ends up going into a, a partial sharing model, but whatever. But I mean, ultimately, he's wanting to say there's an interpenetration um, going on with God. Or if you look in the tradition with Edwards um, or even Aquinas, they both as well have these sorts of go- trying to get God inside in some way. And and the major issue, I think, with merger accounts and why it's avoided is because you have a differing of kinds problem how do you even have god and humans coming into contact you want to do creator creature distinction whatever you want to do how can you have these two sorts of things coming together and either not have the human and have a human not becoming something other than human Oh, okay. Or having the divine become something other than divine. And you actually, just Mm -hmm. a side note, a lot of spirit work that Joanna Leidenhagen and I, a lot of the spirit work, what you see is spirit sometimes, Holy Spirit almost comes this like this other stuff. So you have Mm -hmm. divine stuff and you have human stuff. And then the spirit is this other stuff that somehow (laughs) makes the relation between the divine (laughs) and the the human. But the Holy Spirit is divine. So we Mm -hmm. can't actually do that. But that's what happens sometimes in the literature. Not that people are trying to do that, but that's. Right. When you look at it, you're like, wait, so is the spirit just this other stuff? So that's the major issue for the merger accounts are those. And people just want to in a sense, it's a lot easier to just jump over those. Um, And those would be, again, the questions of internality and presence, where the non-merger accounts are interpersonal accounts, where you're having a unitive factor, but it's it's a receive and response. So you're not, in a sense, receiving the Holy Spirit in yourself, like as a Mm. possession or something like that. Instead, there's no direct merger, and there's a unitive factor that comes just like any other human relation
0: right so it's just any other i'm just any person-to-person relationship like it's got that but it Mm -hmm. doesn't have again the indwelling aspect of it Mm -hmm. okay and there you have it another episode of the reluctant theologian podcast stay tuned for part two of the kim interview on the holy spirit